Oh, here he is. Okay. Uh, Jeff, I have your sound now. Adam, how are yeah. you? Good, good, good. This is audio only, so you can lose the video feed. Okay, sure. Back, back to the fact it'll work better as far as the sound quality on this end. So uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, as soon as I saw your topic about playing through uncertainty, I believe that one of the biggest issues that people deal with is um, functioning without knowing the answers to their questions. And if there's anything that 2020 has taught us is that can harm you pretty bad pretty quick. Yep. And I don't mean, and I don't mean just a couple of events. I mean, literally every single freaking day. So this is yes, a message absolutely. I think a lot of people need to hear. Absolutely. So yeah, that's why yeah, I'm super excited to talk about it, man. Absolutely, absolutely. You uh, gave us a really good uh, framework to work with. Uh, I mean, I think you have a sort of a game plan for this, which I'm going to sort of let you work with. So I'm going to uh, sure. probably answer, ask you the questions you submitted more or less in order, but just to acknowledge now we have the freedom to go in any direction that falls within this topic is we find uh, mutually interesting things. Uh, two other things yeah. you need to know. Yep. Two other things you need to know about this is just uh, bear in mind that even though this is pre-recorded, when we release it tomorrow, it will be done as a live stream. So just okay. be aware of any current event references you make uh, to make sure you don't say, well, today. Uh, and uh, then the other is we have up to an hour to do this, but we have to be done within 60 minutes simply because one of the several networks we're going to push it through tomorrow cuts it off at the 60 minute mark. And I don't want anybody to miss a second of this. Hey, I, I, I agree. That's that'd be awesome. All right. Um, yeah. And also feel free to ask me anything outside of those questions if you feel compelled, because I'm. Yeah, we, we may go in that we may go in that direction. We may go in that direction, too. Um, I think okay, you could outline, but I think I'll discover more about what you mean by this playing through uncertainty as we go along. It seems like there's a bit of a science and a method to it. I can't wait to see. Awesome. All right. You have any other questions for me? Um, what is something that your listeners, I know you've done so many podcasts, but what's something you're, you wish your listeners heard more of that, that they haven't heard enough on your podcast? Actually your topic. We oh, have great. never, we have never covered in an explicit way dealing with uncertainty before. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. All right. So, uh, 10 seconds of silence just to put a marker. So my editor knows where to chop and yep. then I'll read off the intro. We'll bring you in. Great. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you never miss a thing. And now let's get into today's episode, which I'm very excited about. This has to do with playing through uncertainty. If there's anything that recent times have sh has shown us, have shown us, has shown us, what have you, is that there is so much uncertainty out there, so many things we counted on. I believe that most of us listening to this can honestly say that 
if five years ago they were applying for a job and answered the question, where do you see yourself in five years? I don't think anybody got that one right because the past recent times have thrown us so many curveballs and shattered so many paradigms, moved the needle in so many different ways that many of us may have theoretically seen as a possibility, but for the first time, we're seeing these things actually happen. Some stuff we've dreamed of that has had unintended consequences. Some things we've dreaded that has turned out maybe better or worse than what we expected. But the fact is, uncertainty is big. Some folks find me frustrating, candidly. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. Because I have this ability to see a bunch of people freaking out, whether it's on a on a team call or whether it's in a discussion group or whether they want to discuss certain current event topics or whatever it is. And they, they are like just doomsday, end of the world, flipping out. How can I not be possibly enraged by this? I can think I've lost count of how many times over the past year I've had to end telephone calls because the person on the other end was just too emotional. And my equilibrium was really causing them challenges. I've gotten this way because I used to have a horrible relationship with uncertainty. I would intentionally scuttle my own results just so that I'd know the answer. Whereas even when I knew that just a little bit of patience might get me what I was looking for, I would shoot myself in the foot just so that I wouldn't have any uncertainty. And there may be others like that as well. We're in a situation where uncertainty is really one of the few certainties, just like we've heard for 20 years that the only constant is change. Well, the only certain thing is uncertainty. Let's coin out right now. To help us through this very unique topic, we have somebody who you're, I believe, going to find to be a very positive individual. I know I chatted with him for a few minutes in the green room before we got started, and he has a radiance about him that energized me. His name is Jeff Harry, spelled H-A-R-R-Y, like the prince. Jeff Harry shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled all by playing. Jeff has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into the day-to-day. Now, there's so much more to Jeff. I'm going to tell you just a little bit, and then we're going to have him tell you a little bit. He's an international speaker who's presented on conferences such as Inbound, SXSW, and Australia's PauseFest, showing audiences how major issues in the workplace can be solved using play. Jeff was selected by Rambo HR and engagedly is one of the top 100 HR influencers for 2020. That's something that's certain. For his organizational development work around dealing with toxic people in the workplace, uncertainty can breed toxicity. His play work, literally his play work, has most recently been featured in a New York Times article called How Do We Add More Play to Our Own Grown-Up Life, Even Now? He's also been featured on AJ Plus, Soul Pancake, the San Francisco Chronicle, and CNN. So without any further ado, because we have so much great stuff to discover from this man today, Jeff Harry, come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. 
All right. So I can tell you're ready to get down to business. And I know you've tuned into a couple episodes here. So you know that the first thing we ask before we get into the main topic of the article is I just read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And it's my show. So let's take a quick step back and discover more about Jeff Harry as an individual. And tell us what a little bit about your journey and your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving sure. it, serving business creators from their intersection of their brilliance and their passion and functioning from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community market and audience. Sure. So it all started with the movie Big. Do you remember that with Tom Hanks? Yes, I do. So I saw the movie Big and in that movie, he got to play with toys for a living. As soon as I saw that, I think I was in third or fourth grade, that I was like, that's a job? I didn't know that was a job. And then I started writing toy companies on a word processor. I would mail them letters after letter, and I would send them sometimes five letters at a time. So I was spamming before I even knew that was a thing, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it eventually led me to... Um, I got a response from a toy company once. They told me to go into mechanical engineering. I probably shouldn't have listened, but I did it anyway. Um, Went uh, to Tufts University, graduated, and then eventually worked for the toy industry. And you know when you get something that you always have wanted, you've wanted this your whole life, and then you get it, and it's nothing like what you thought it would be? I mean, talk about uncertainty, right? You know, like there was no play, there was no fun, there were no high fives, there were no kids. It just was not a fun environment, even though I was working for a toy company and they might as well have been selling microwaves. So, you know, I had my quarter life crisis. I was living in New York. I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I bumped into an organization that had seven people at the time teaching kids engineering with Lego. And uh, they were just playing for a living. And I was like, that's what I want to do. This is more of what is my calling. And then I helped grow it into one of the largest Lego inspired STEM education companies like, like in the US. Like we've taught, we taught like a million people or a million kids in the span of like 12 years. Uh, And the whole time we were doing it, We were just making it up as we went along. We had no idea what we were doing. We took the business from seven people to 400 people. We were teaching 100,000 kids a year. But the way we were deciding or making decisions was all through play, right? Like, do you want to go to New York? That sounds fun. Do you want to go to Austin? Yes, that sounds fun. Do you want to go to Wyoming? No, that doesn't sound as much fun. Like, we just made decisions like that. We hired people that were playful. And, you know, and we would just say yes to everything. So Silicon Valley, after we had been doing it for like over a decade, Silicon Valley started paying attention to us. Facebook, Google, Adobe, you know, electronic arts. And they were like, hey, do you do team building events? And we were like, of course we do. Even though we did it, we had never done one in our lives. But we just made it up. We were like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, And as I started running a lot of these team building events with companies, I realized that at the same time that they wanted creativity, they wanted innovation, they wanted to take risks, they wanted to think outside the box, they had not created the environments to play to do that. Um, And what I created, this is why I created Rediscover Your Play, the business I now have, 
is because I combine positive psychology and play to help them tackle those really hard issues like uncertainty. How do you get your staff into flow? How do you deal with toxicity in the workplace? How do you deal with office politics so you don't have the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting? <laughs> you know, like all of that stuff, because I was like, if you're not willing to have the hard conversations, then we can't get to all the fun that we could have. Oh boy. You just opened up some loops with that one. We are going to have ourselves a fun time here for the rest of this hour. Let me tell you, Jeff. And, and you know what? Uh, first of all, I want to just make sure that I have this nailed down. I think you've alluded to it, but I want to make sure we spell it out right now just so our listeners understand. How sure. do you define play? Oh, and, I love how, and how does it pertain to business? I just I love that I, you asked that question. Gave us so... pieces of, you gave us pieces of it. Just give it to us straight so we have it. Yeah, so I define play in a, in a much larger way. I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, where you are fully present in the moment, where you fall in love with the process, where there actually is no purpose, where there actually is no result. You don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You are just fully in the moment. And the way in which that ties in with work is... A lot of companies don't like talking about play, but they like talking about flow. And flow is also when you're doing the work that you forget about time. And, and in positive psychology, Dr. Csikszentmihalyi describes flow as, as any act where the difficulty of the challenge meets your skill level perfectly. So usually when you're doing work and you first started a job, you have no skill and, you, and the difficulty of the task really is hard. So you have a lot of anxiety, right? And then as, the, as your skill gets really uh, stronger, uh, the task isn't as hard anymore. So you become bored. But between that is a channel, a flow channel between anxiety and boredom called flow and what actually happens in your prefrontal cortex is a part of it actually shuts down. Your implicit mind actually appears. Uh, your inner critic uh, starts to dissipate. You distort time. And this is why you can't tell how much time has passed. And all of a sudden you get this shot of dopamine. You get this huge level of curiosity. You stop fixating on one result, which a lot of adults make a mistake on, and I can expand on that in a moment, um, and you begin to see all of the opportunities in front of you. And if you look at any business, the businesses that are most thriving, and my play mentor, Kevin Carroll, talks a lot about this, is your the future is where the fun is. Where yeah. are the companies that are having the most fun? Because any ones that are not adaptable are gonna become the blockbusters of the future. Agreed. Agreed. So in times of uncertainty, like we are in right now, and I believe that that's going to remain a factual statement if mm -hmm. somebody's tuning in three years from now, because I think we're just going to pile on another level of uncertainty. Uh, I say this for a couple reasons. Let me back up here for a minute, because I think this might give you some jumping off points in terms of how much uncertainty we really have in the world. Right. First of all, pandemics usually take a few years to fully uh, suss out. You go through the history of time, you identify mm -hmm. every pandemic, you know it takes a few years because you have the first round, the second round, the mutation, the cultural change necessary to fight it, uh, uh, the herd immunity that needs yep. to develop. You can go on and on and on and on. And something else, and, and I call this 
five years ago. In fact, I actually coined a phrase called the democratization of information dissemination. I'll say that again. Democratization of information dissemination, uh, which has been both good and bad. And the way those two things have come together, at least here now, I view has created a level of uncertainty that is on the verge of revolutionary fervor. Let me explain right. briefly what I mean. Before social media came along, before we all had uh, the ability to literally become our own news network on a whim by using our smartphones, uh, before anybody could put up a podcast and get their message out like we're doing right now, mm -hmm. the news or what was called news was channeled through a few, well, channels. Right. But with this ability for everybody to get their voice out, two things have happened. Well, actually, three things have happened. Number one, the challenge to the official narrative has revealed some of the problems with the official narrative and the problem with the idea of there being an official narrative to begin mm -hmm. with. It, mm -hmm. That should not be the case. Um, and I, don't, I candidly believe that everybody should be on board with that, number one. Number two, now everybody has a voice, but you got to vet some of these voices. Mm-hmm because anybody can come up with an opinion and make it sound like a fact. I've said, I've said in my book in 100,000 times, there's no such thing as the truth. There are facts that we interpret through our own truths, which themselves are based on our experiences, our education, mm -hmm. and what's happened to us through our life. The third thing is this democratization of information and dissemination has candidly revealed how much bullshit there is <laughs> to the point where and I think this is another statement I think a lot of people are going to agree with, but however, they'll agree with it for different reasons based on their truth is, can any of us really trust an election? Mm. I, I don't think that's another one I don't think is going away. And some of the stuff that is coming to light with regard to this process, it has been coming to light over the past 10 years, is stuff that if you really read between the lines in the history books has always been there. But up until we democratize information dissemination, it was easy to keep a lid on that stuff. Well, the lid's been blown. So with all that and all that information coming at you that gives you so many different perspectives, you're trying to figure out what's what, that's a lot of uncertainty. It so is. how do you yeah. play through that? Well, I think what I do, and I, I do this with a lot of our clients, is is I first ask, you know, how's your 2020 going, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I ask them, what did they think their 2020 was going to be like in December 2019? Yeah. And and you'll hear all these people, everyone is saying the same thing, right? Very similar things. Oh, this was going to be my biggest year for my business. Oh, I was going to start my business this year. Oh, I was going to get married this year. Oh, this was the year I was going to leave my job and start my own thing. Oh, this is when I was going to get promoted. Everyone had this huge, huge fixation on like all the dreams they were going to accomplish in 2020. And we even do this in one of our workshops, Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, where we have people actually write down everything that they wanted to accomplish in 2020 that, that won't happen this year. It just won't for whatever reason, right? And we have them write it down and then fold it up into a piece of paper and then let it go. And we're not saying let it go forever. We're just saying let it go for now. So because for you to be able to create the next best thing right now, 
you have to let go of your expectations. And, and this quote always resonates with me, expectations are the thief of joy. One of the biggest challenges that adults have, that kids don't have, is adults are so fixated on getting a certain result and then assuming that when they get that result, they'll be happy. And if you notice with a lot of kids, they're just open to the possibilities. Yeah. They're trying things out. Like you look at them when they go to the playground, they don't know what they're gonna do. They bump into someone, they're like, hey, what are we doing? Are you playing a game? All right, they're playing a game. And then they're like, oh yeah, I don't wanna play that game anymore. And then they move on. Meanwhile, if us, you know, it's so difficult for us to be like, should I try something? Should I not try something? Like we overthink and we ruminate so much, which causes us a lot of anxiety and stress. And, and we constantly are holding on to what we thought things should be instead of just owning what is happening right now and then adapting based off of that. And the people that have been able to adapt the best during 2020 have been able to let go of what they thought 2020 was going to be and just own what is happening right now. And then you can start to navigate through it. You know, this, lead, this leads me to uh, something that I've read you say, and I think it might have been one of your articles. You point out that adults tend to plan in a linear way. Yep. And life doesn't re represent a linear progression is, I don't think we need to keep beating the drum. We see it. We got it. So why do adults do that? We do that because our brains are looking for patterns. We want to figure out like if I, you know, work this hard, then I'll make this much money. If I reach out to this many people, then I, I might. And that might be true or might not be true. But the thing is, is if you look back at your entire life, none of it is linear. None of it has been linear. So why are you planning in such a specific A meets B, you know, goes the C to D way when it's never worked out that way? If anything, we should be open and we should even be teaching our kids this, open to the possibilities and the adaptability of stuff. Um, you know, my friend Angie Cole talks a lot about um, different types of, of energy or different types of leadership style, right? When you're in a, a masculine leadership style, it's very to-do list and it's very results driven. It's very action oriented. And it's very, if I do A, then I get B right? While a, a more feminine leadership style actually is much more open to adaptability. There's much more play there. There's much more like, let's organically see where this might happen, right? And, yeah. and frankly, to be a good leader, you need to have both, you know, but when you're too much on one or the other, then you could either be too flaky, or you could either be too rigid. And what we want to be able to do, especially if 2020 has revealed anything, is like nothing was ever certain. But this lifted the veil on all of this. And it also showed, you know, that no one really knows what they're talking about. We're all just making it up as we go along, right? So I don't mind when people are giving advice and being like, hey, this is what worked for me. You know, this has worked for some of my clients, so it might work for you. But anyone that is giving advice and being like, this is what you should do during the pandemic, I always like to ask them like, oh, were you around in 1918? Were you building a business back in 1918? Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't, you need to shut up right now because you don't know what you're talking about. None of us do. You were just trying to figure it out. And I even say this, and I'll say this to your listeners as well. I might give you advice. 
if it doesn't resonate with you, just ignore it because it's not for you. But if if it does resonate with you, that's that's your inner self, that's your inner child being like, hey, you know, that actually makes sense because I already believe that. And this person is simply reminding me what I already believe, you know, and then just start following that more. Like my business mentor, Stephen Worley, always talks about how um, I want to be paid to be me, right? Well, if you want to be paid to be to be you, then you have to figure out who you are and follow that curiosity as much as possible and stop looking for others to show you the way, especially when no one can show you right now. This is all on you to figure out because no one has navigated this before, or yeah. at least in the last hundred years. To me, part of play is having the ability to enjoy stories, to create stories. So my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. That concludes the spring formula, which is a blueprint for business success, focusing on six areas. It's not loaded with a whole bunch of statistics, although we do quote some articles and we do show some step-by-step -step type of stuff. It's mostly a collection of stories of things that have happened in my business and life and those of some of my friends and colleagues, although I changed the names to uh, protect the guilty in some cases. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, one of the things that we share in that book is, uh, you know, the concept of the lying, cheating, loser, jerk. Now, Jeff, have you ever had a friend who was dating somebody or in a relationship with somebody or just hooking up with someone and they kept telling you how this person was a lying, cheating, loser, jerk? Mm, yeah. Right? Okay. And uh, they would just go on and on and on about this lying, cheating, loser, jerk. Uh, but yet, every weekend or every night, they were back with that lying, cheating, mm -hmm. loser, jerk again. In the meantime, the person who supposedly is their ideal mate is right there. Right. What do they do with them? They friend zone them. And they say, right. well, uh, they, you know, well, they're nice, but they're not really what I'm looking for. It's like you gave 20 items of what you're looking for. They match all 20 of them. The lying, cheating, loser, jerk matches one and a half out of those 20. And you keep going back to the lying, cheating, loser, jerk, and you friend zone Prince or Princess Charming. Where I'm going with this is what do societal expectations have to do with all of this? Because I think that people may think in a linear fashion or they may not embrace the play side of things because society or some programming body tells them they're supposed to think a certain way, act a certain way yeah. and expect an X, Y progression. Yeah. So, oh, that's a great question. So first answering the lying, I know why they stay with the lying, cheating, loser, jerk. And Gay Hendricks, the famous psychologist talks about this where they stay with that person because they're comfortable with not receiving love. That's the problem. The that's problem a good is, one. That's the, the problem is, is that they don't believe they are deserving. So anyone that is giving them attention and stuff like that, you're like, Ugh, what's wrong with you? But this lying, cheating, loser jerk is ignoring me all the time. And that is the type of, of uh, uh, love and, and attention I deserve. So it's that part's tough, right? But then yeah. tying, tying it into the programming, let's, let's talk about um, adults when it comes to play, right? Uh, a lot of adults ask me, why don't uh, enough adults play anymore? And I always answer in this short answer being uh, 148,000 no's. 
And what I mean by that is by the time you're 18, studies have shown that you will have heard the word no 148,000 times. In wow. addition to that, while you're a kid, you are shit on all the time by adults, by your parents, by teachers. Then you go to school where you're asked to raise your hand all the time, asked to, for permission. And then, you know, social media shows up when you're a teen um, and all of a sudden it's telling you you're not enough. All of the media is telling you you're not enough. That frankly, for you to play, for you to like own your nerdiness and do, do something weird that you actually want to do is such a rebellious and revolutionary act because everything has been banging down on you, telling you not to be you, right? Like every time you've been yourself, someone has been like, stop being so mischievous. You know, Adam, stop being too much. You're just too much right now, Adam. Uh -huh. and, and you hear that so much that you're like, oh, well, maybe I should you know, dumb down who I am. Oh, maybe I should emulate somebody else. And Viola Davis says this a lot where, you know, you have, you have, you have a choice every day with every decision. You either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And there's a lot of people chasing their worth. And it kind of ties into a term I coined called... Um, affluent deadness. And what I mean by that is I know a lot of people that are successful. I know a lot of rich people. I know a lot of people that are famous. I, I just know people that, that you would consider that have it all, that could travel the world 10 times over, buy whatever they want, anytime they wanna buy it, you know, all those things. There's a certain deadness to a lot of them. You know, not all of them, but just like either they're worried about all the money they might lose or they're comparing themselves to somebody else. Well, oh, I have five million dollars, but this person is 10 million dollars or they just seem super bored because they thought when they got to this echelon that it would be amazing. And it's not. And then the bad thing is then they post on Instagram or whatever platform and say how amazing their life is. And then I talk to them afterwards and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're not that happy. And they're like, yeah, but you know, like I want to show off and you know, it makes me feel happy to tell people that I feel happy. And it's just like, they're selling this story that's just not true. And then you have the rest of society that's like, I gotta get up there, you know, only to be disappointed when they get up there as well. You know, yeah. uh, Jim Carrey says this all the time. He's just like, I wish everyone had the fame and fortune that I had, just so you'd realize that it's just not that all that cracked up to be. And like what you we should be focused on is how can I be fulfilled right now? How can I be doing the work that fulfills me and gets me in a state of flow right now? Because Howard Thurman says like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because the world needs more people to come alive. See, there, there are some foundational uh, paradigm shifts you've given us with all those great quotes. Now I'd like to throw in a couple as well. Since you mentioned what happens with us getting should on and mm -hmm. told to come out of our shell and everything. See, what, what I count as one of the things that saved my life in terms of my trajectory is several years ago when I read that book, uh, Quiet by Susan Cain. Uh, mm. I still say that that uh, Susan Cain is one of the people who saved my life and I haven't met her uh, because in reading through her book, which actually is very ponderous and very scientific, and you got to budget yourself some time to really go through it slowly to understand everything, but in a way that 
I don't think the world had seen before then, it explained the whole introversion and extroversion mm. sort of thing. And what, and what do uh, a lot of activities in school push you to do? To come out of your shell, to mm-hmm. be part of the community. In other words, to conform, to align, right. to right. S- to sacrifice your individuality. Yeah. Now, then, then there's me. It all started when um, I was deaf as a toddler. Uh, and so I didn't even speak until I was three years old. And I was effectively homeschooled by my mother. So uh, I got way ahead of the curve. So by the time I entered kindergarten, I could already read and write, which wow. is not an unusual thing for kindergartners even yeah. today. Uh, I was transferred from the first to the second grade right in the middle of the year because they said I was bored. Now, you already know what that did to my social life going all the mm-hmm. way through school until I got to college, when mm-hmm. I when I finally found a place where I could uh, fit in in my own way. So you already know that story, and our listeners uh, can fill in all those blanks right there. So I, in addition to having that situation, I'm naturally introverted, very much so. Uh, I prefer solitude a lot of the time. And I remember that when I was in school, and this was a recurring theme, no matter what grade level I was at, all the way until I completed the part that the state mandate I completed, is finding any reason to be in the library. Mm. Instead of study hall, I would get the permanent plat, the permanent pass, so that instead of going to study hall, I'd go to the library. I would find a way to get a pass from lunch to go to the library. I would, uh, if there was recess, uh, Jeff, one time, uh, they're, they're on my, on the pinky finger of my right hand, there's a scar that goes like two thirds of the way around it because oh. I uh, was holding a broken mug when I was like in fifth grade and didn't notice it for almost 30 seconds. Oh uh, uh, they, they, I mean, uh, and so for a couple of weeks I had to um, uh, actually tape a popsicle stick to my hand to hold it straight so that it would heal because I, because I uh, just fought against the whole idea of stitches and wouldn't get them. Um, Well, that that goes back to trypanophobia, which is a separate conversation. Uh, But uh, I milked that for five months because my bliss, my idea of recess was cracking open a book. Mm. I didn't need to go play outside with those asshole kids who hated me anyway. And mm-hmm. plus, I really wasn't into the things they were doing. I didn't mm-hmm. want to play touch football. I didn't want to play mm-hmm. dodgeball. I didn't want to play hopscotch. I wanted to read. Right. So that was my idea of play. But I was told that made me antisocial and it was wrong and I didn't fit in. Well, I think that's a big impact on a lot of folks, even even those that don't encounter some of the same social challenges that I did at that age, who may not have the same problems with fitting in or things like that, they may still find that they are being pushed into activities that are naturally actually very excruciating and tedious for them and being told that the thing that is fun for them is wrong. So I can see how that translates to the adult world. Yeah, and, and I think of it, and I say this on a lot of uh, podcasts, parenting podcasts that I'm on, that, um, you know, one of the greatest gifts that parents can do for their child is to not put so much pressure on them to conform and actually to pursue the nerdy things about themselves, like the parents, 
so that the kid can see what that actually looks like. Because I think a lot of times parents try to conform and then the kids see that and they're like, well, if my parents are conforming, then I need to conform, right? You know, like, oh, you know, all the kids are playing soccer. So now my kid needs to play soccer. And it's like, that does, that's not, that doesn't have to be the case. Like we're not trying to have our kids compete. And if anything, if there's a silver lining, if there is one of like the quarantine, it, it caused families to spend more time together and actually learn who that actually kid was and what that kid was interested in so that they're not overscheduled all the time and doing yeah. all the things that they think they have to do or because society's telling them. Like one thing that I find really interesting is now if you want to go see somebody, you know, if you're not really good friends with them, then you're like, nah, I don't think I want to see you because I might be risking my life. Like now we're <laughs> able to really actually question and, and know what is really important. And Elizabeth Gilbert says this all the time. She goes, I've never seen anyone go through personal transformation um, that first hasn't got tired of their own bullshit. And, you know, what I would challenge your listeners it. to do- I love it. You know, when they're, when you're, when your listeners are like, well, I feel stuck or I don't know what's going on right now. Be like, what's the bullshit you're say, telling yourself? What is the story that you're telling yourself? Right. You know, oh, well, I just don't have time. Look at your phone and look at how much time you've looked at your phone. Like just today, you know, it's usually between three to five hours that yeah. you just wasted. Right. One of my bullshit stories right before uh, quarantine here in Chicago um, was I was like, I don't have time to make videos. Well, once quarantine happened, it was just like, now you have all the time in the world, Jeff, right? And then I finally got over my BS around that. And now I'm consistently making one a day. Like, yeah. and it's not that hard. But I've been really following them, they're good. Challenging ourselves to confront those old stories that we need, need to just let go of. I think it kind of works the other way too. I mean, yeah, I just said, I've, I've been following some of your videos, really good stuff. I encourage uh, our listeners to find you and uh, check out some of your videos too. But uh, what our listeners have known for the seven plus years we've been on the air here at Business Creators Radio, which is a podcast, is it's an audio only show. And I have heard people say, well, you really got to do video because that way you have right. engagement. Right. And, I, and I actually once had to kick a guest off my show because <laughs> they tried to demand it be video oh my god uh, it's like it's like you're forgetting the part where i'm the host and you're the guest you exactly. need to work with me yeah just like just like jeff if we were on your show and you wanted to be a video show i don't like doing video because right. i just don't like doing video it has nothing to do with confidence or anything like that but how i'd put the laptop up on the fireplace mantle and i'd do it standing up like i always do Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd do it because it was your environment. So that all being said, there's a couple reasons why the Business Creators Radio Show is uh, is audio only. The first is, you know, we tried the video thing. It was just too much a pain in the neck. Second mm-hmm. is we looked at actual behavior by speaking with people who tune in regularly. And we determined that the vast majority of them will stream it in the background while doing other things, which is right. the strategic reason why sometimes I go off on profane rants and I use words a lot worse than bullshit. And I do <laughs> and I do real when I do what are known as pregnant pauses. The reason right. for that is actually pattern interrupts. Where they say, whoa, whoa, what did I just miss? Uh, I better lean in now and pay right. attention because I don't want to miss anything else. In fact, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this later. So I better subscribe. Ooh, see what I just did there? 
Another reason is I get really excited about these. Like um, earlier, uh, about five minutes earlier while you were speaking, uh, I was actually, my my uh, headset cord has a, is 20 feet long and I have an extension cord on it so I can move a long distance with it. I was uh-huh. pacing back and forth doing the raise the roof gesture. Nice. Because I was sitting getting so into it and it was getting so energized. Awesome. If it was if this were video, I would have to, you know, do the media pose where I make sure my shoulders are square right, and I'm looking right. directly into the lens. I can't be taking notes of all the aha moments I'm getting right. and I have to hold this pose for an hour. And that's just that, to me that's not fun. But being able to get raw raw, that's fun. And you know what the, you know what the final reason is it's not a video show? I just don't want to. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I just don't. I just don't want to. And and enough people love the fact that it's an audio show. I'll go with that. Yeah, and I think what I love about that, what's so refreshing, is you've just figured out by just playing and experimenting what works for you, and you're just yeah. doing that instead of listening to what one's supposed to do or what the trends are doing like we need to stop listening to all of that right like when i talk to people about like how to how do you get into flow like how do you get into like a state of flow or a state of play where you know it's your ikigai like where your your purpose meets your passion meets everything you know you first have to get to a place where you can shut out all the noise Um, And my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, talks a lot about this of like, you can't play until you learn to soothe yourself. And usually the way in which you learn to soothe yourself is from the person that took care of you the most. So you learn how to calm and nurture yourself from them and you apply that to you. So, you know, if they had a lot of anxiety, you might have a lot of anxiety. So you got to figure out like what makes you calm, right? That's why when we, we have our best ideas when we're in the shower, because we're nice and calm. So what is the thing that calm, that soothes and calms yourself? And then after you do that, then allow yourself to get bored. And what I mean by bored is not like, like bored with life, but more like shut off social media, and I'm not saying forever, I'm just talking about for like an hour or two. Stop binge watching Netflix for just an hour and just get quiet, just get super quiet. And whether you need to walk while you do this or whatever you did, run, you know, raise the roof, play something. I have a basketball hoop in my room, you know, whatever you need to do, but get into like a, a bored place so that you can get quiet enough to hear that inner curiosity that starts to whisper to you what you might want to explore. Like, hey, start that podcast. Hey, make that video. Hey, reach out to that person you've always wanted to reach to. Hey, apply to that new job because you hate your old job. You know, hey, start like thinking about how to make a side business while you're still building your, while you're still at this organization and and see if maybe one day you can turn your side business into what you really want to do. But again, going back to the Worley thing of like, get paid to be you by figuring out what it's like to just be you and figure out what do you want? I feel like I ask that question all the time to people, but people shy away or run away from that question and instead think, oh, well, I want what that person has. You know, or I'm going to read this article, this listicle that says, these are the 10 things I need to do as a business person, you know, and I'm going to follow that, you know, or I'm going to follow Gary Vaynerchuk or Brene Brown or Mel Robbins or, you know, Tony Robbins or whatever, any Robbins, like we're constantly looking Asking for- Asking Robbins? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that could be it, right? Like we're constantly looking for someone to be like, please tell me the answer when frankly you have all the answers that you need within yourself now. 
and you simply need to play enough in order to figure them out. You know, uh, that I love, I love that. And um, this whole thing about getting bored, here's what came into my mind. This is where it's a good thing we're audio because you know, I had to stop and actually write down so I remember to say this. Uh, all right, uh, since we're quoting and using examples of famous people, let's throw Jeff Bezos into the mix. The guy washes his own damn dishes after dinner. Do you know why? <laughs> no, I don't. Because performing a rote task inspires his creativity oh, and right. gives him space to think yep. about business. I mean, he's, you know, he's the CEO of uh, multiple companies. He's got people coming at him all day, piles of paperwork, media to deal with, subordinates to deal with. When does he, and, you know, family or you know, whatever that looks like for him right now, when does he have time to just think? Mm. Now, it's funny, and there's science that backs this up. That doing something really boring mm -hmm. and really rote creates space for your mind to flow. Yep. So, uh, like some some people like some people who have yards like to cut their own grass, and of course they're going to come along and say that is not leveraged. You need to hire right. some neighborhood kid to cut your grass. Right. Well, what if that's your zen? Now, here's the one that I get. I do all my own entry into QuickBooks and say, hey, you're, you need to hire a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. An entrepreneur does not enter stuff into QuickBooks. But I do, and I'll tell you two reasons why. Because I will never get a more intimate picture of the day-to-day -day cash flow impacts of my business yep. than by literally entering it day by day once a month. And it is so freaking boring <laughs> that it opens up space in my mind yeah. where I end up usually when I do my, when I do my QuickBooks entries, I have to have my bank statement in one placeholder and I have to have my notepad open in another so I can write down all the inspirations I get while I'm entering mm -hmm. those repetitive GoDaddy charges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love that because what is happening, um, what's the best way of describing it? is you're giving time and you're practicing awareness. And if there's anything about like, you know, what greatly determines the success of a business is people's mindset, right? How do you wake up in the morning? How do you show up in the morning? How do you prime your day, right? I talk about how I like to start my day by playing, by making a video. I make some stupid video to start my day. It has yeah. no ROI to it. I don't know if it brings me any money ever, but what it does is it puts me in a certain mood. It primes my day to see every opportunity as play, you know, so then I hop off that. Then I'm applying, you know, I'm pitching to a bunch of organizations. I see that as play. I hop on some podcasts. That seems like play. And my friend Desiree even taught me this of asking the question, how can it get any better than this? Right. And when you ask that question to yourself, from a curious place, not from like a desire, like I need something great, but like a curious place, you can stack positive moments all throughout the day. So I, you know, I like woke up, made a video. Oh, how can it get any better than this? Oh, I was on a podcast this morning. Oh, how can it get any better than this? Then I brainstormed with my friend Marcy. How can it get any better than this? Now I'm talking to you, Adam, on this amazing show. How can it get any better than this? I get to see my girlfriend later on. So like when you're priming all of that, you start to set up patterns in your mind to see the opportunities. So when you hear someone say that they had a bad day, 
I challenge that. I don't think people have bad days. I think what they have are bad moments because many, most thoughts are measured. They last in your brain between nine seconds and 90 seconds, but right. our ability to have that bad moment and ruminate in it, to run it over and over in, in our head, we run it a thousand times. And then while we're doing that, when we're looking for other bad moments throughout the day, which then leads to a bad day, most of the time. Right. Yeah. But if you're able to be like, recognize the good moments, appreciate them, and then look for more, your, your productivity levels will shoot up. You know, you'll get in a, a faster state of flow and you'll just be more fulfilled with your work. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that entirely. So there, uh, we have about 15 minutes left. Well, actually, a little less than 15 minutes because I want to give you a moment at the end for something I think you have for us. There's one other key area. And if we have time to do one more thing, and since you and I tend to be pretty expansive on our topics, I'm going to get this in now in case it's all we have time for. But I think it's sure. a very, very important thing. Uh, how play and being playful can help keep employees engaged even in the virtual work environment that we're in now? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I think right now, I, I believe a lot of leaders are being like, whoo, well, you know, we don't have to have, you know, we just do our one Zoom meeting and then, and then, you know, we call it a day or we have a, you know, we'll have our one-on-one -on -one meetings and we'll have our big meeting and then, you know, we're good. Um, and this is the time when culture can dissipate. This is the time when employees start thinking, oh, well, you know what I loved about my job? Actually going into my job and hanging out with my colleagues. Now I don't, I'm not doing that. So maybe I don't want to be here anymore, you know? And they'll yeah. start, they start looking for other jobs. They might even be looking for other jobs while on a meeting with you, you know? Yeah. Like that's how bad engagement can be during this time. And we just assume that we can't do anything about it. Um, and I challenge that, you know, because I mean, I know certain businesses where the team lead has lunch with his staff like every other day and they don't talk about work at all. And that's all they do. And that's a cultural thing that they happen to have. Right. Yeah. There are people where where I know team leads that hop on calls and their main focus is to not talk about work, but to talk about what's going on in that person's life. And how do we address those things so that it won't get in the way of their work, right? You know, meanwhile, I have other people that I know where their organizations, they haven't, they haven't asked their people at all how they're doing. You know, if you want to get someone disengaged, try not letting them know the, the, what's going on with the company right now. There's so many companies I've talked to where they're not even sharing, like, or being transparent about all of the financial predicaments that the company is going through. And if a, if a, if a team leader, you know, or your boss was able to come to you and be like, listen, I don't know how we're going to be able to figure out how to navigate through all this uncertainty. Our revenues are down X amount, but I'm here and I'm in the trenches with you willing to figure this out. This is the time when one should be playing more, but yeah. instead, I see a lot of companies constricting and reaching out less to their staff, you know, and sharing less information and, and um, taking less risks. And that's where you're putting yourself in the worst predicament 
where you are not only going to lose staff, but you might also dramatically destroy, start to destroy your company, you know? And the flip side of that is be more engaged, figure out how can I get my staff in more of a state of flow? Hey, employee, you know, Chad, Chad what, what's the work that you love to do most? All right. How much of that takes up, takes up your week? 5%, 10%. Let's figure out over the next month how we can increase that to like 15% of your time. And, and we know that studies show that this works. Google has the 20% rule where they give 20% of their time, their staff can do whatever they want as long as it's helpful to the business. And that, that 20% of freedom created Gmail. It created Google Meet. It created all of these different things that now Google like, has made billions of dollars on because you gave people the freedom to do the work their way. And because you showed that level of care, they decided to stay longer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, this goes back to the whole one of uh, constrictors of play. I never thought of something within a certain frame until just now. And it, you know, this isn't the first time today alone I've had the conversation about the dramatic shift in the marketplace where I think it's, you know, a lot of the people, particularly in the C-suites who have been in business for a long time, mm-hmm. who still believe this is 1974. And if somebody's yep. not in their office from nine to five, taking their mandatory 30 minutes for lunch, yep. two 15 minute breaks and, uh, and um, limiting their time in the bathroom to five minutes and limiting their time at the water yep. cooler to three minutes and answering their phone on the second ring every time they're not productive. Whereas the fact is other studies have shown that the typical amount of productivity the average employee brings in in an eight-hour day is somewhere in the neighborhood of two hours and 54 minutes. Exactly. The rest of it is exactly. taken up by bullshit meetings mostly yep. and, and office yep. politics. Yep. So, so the transition perfect. is you send people to their homes and, uh, and then they start wondering, well, how are they getting all their stuff done in two hours and then just yep. staying on call? And then companies do ridiculous things like um, they uh, make you display that you're live chat thing has the yep. green dot on or they or and this is something one of my supervisors used to do to me in a job that was so bad i celebrate losing it as my second birthday where <laughs> if you were ever uh, out of out of the office or out of work for a day they would just find ridiculous reasons to just keep calling and yep. calling and calling yep. and companies are doing that now yep Whereas somebody could do all their productivity in two hours and 54 minutes and then just keep a device on them that'll buzz if somebody pages them. So they're available for the full eight. You're still getting the same productivity. And now they don't have to deal with childcare. They have the space to homeschool their kids. Uh, If they want to, if they need to play hooky for an hour or two, just to get their mind right, they can do that. They can go for a walk. Uh, They can watch garbage on TV just to, just to, you know, you know, mix things up a little bit. They can play with their cats, whatever they want to do, but they're still there for you. And you're still getting the full value. I know. And and that's the crazy part is like, we're following so many rules that we don't even know where they came from. Right. Yeah. Like where did the eight hour day come from? It came from Ford who thought eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure and sleep or eight hours of leisure or whatever, um, or family time and then eight hours of sleep. He yeah. came up with that in like the 1930s, man. Earlier than that, earlier than that. Like, oh, even earlier than that. Yeah. Oh my God. 
So it's just like, what are we doing? And I agree with you. If you want your if you want to get more out of your staff, help them figure out what work puts them most in a flow state. Help them figure out the work that they do the best and help them double down on that work. That will actually not only make them more productive, make you more revenue and have you hit more of your goals, but also keep them fully engaged and want to work hard for you. But as long as you're showing a certain level of distrust that you have to do it this certain way and you're not allowing them to be themselves at work, you are destroying their individual individuality and you are pushing them away from your company until finally they're going to leave. And turnover is really expensive right now. So you yeah, really it is. want to be doing that. Yeah. Um, we don't have time for this story, but I have told on other episodes, uh, a company that I had worked with basically took away all my loyalty to them because uh, there was a freak blizzard that caused seven inches to get dumped unexpectedly when it was supposed to be 40 degrees that day. Wow. And I couldn't physically make it to work. So I, um, so I dealt with issues from my home mm -hmm. and they decided to penalize me for that. Yeah. Any, any sense of any loyalty I had for them just right. was taken away that day. And what that was, you know, right. where, and where that really came from, if you know the trajectory, it was really just some, moron in the c-suite that had to show off that he had the title chief yep. and get involved in this to do something about these people working from home we can't have this is basically how it came out yeah. and, and and you know how ridiculous i just sounded that's how ridiculous his actions were yeah. because it cost that company me my loyalty was i was still there for like two and a half years after that but that moment right there is what told me because that was right about when I was completing my MBA, yep. that my actual trajectory was going to be entrepreneurship. So yeah. I was just going to hang out with that company and continue to milk it until I could get my business going. And that's what yeah, I did. I, mean, what, I, 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 I did my mandatory eight, and that was it from that point forward. Right. And, and because people remember, right? Yeah. You do not forget those scars and what every company and every you know leader should be thinking about right now is how am i communicating that i care to my employees what actions am i doing on a daily basis you know how much you know the, the gottmans in in relationship um talks about how you have to you know give five uh positive things of praise for every negative thing that you're giving. You know, it's the same thing in the workplace of like, what level of recognition are you giving to your staff? Because here is the ironic part when the way in which you describe that dude, that guy yeah. sounds like an extremely toxic individual, right? And, yeah. and my friend Gary Ware and I run a workshop called Dealing with A-Holes at Work Through Play. Yeah. Really popular workshop. This is how we won so many awards. And the reason why it became so popular is because Sherm did a study, the HR, you know. Yeah, of course, Sherm, sure. Society for Human Resources Management. Yeah, exactly I know well. right. They did a study in October of 2019, and they found yeah. that $223 billion had been lost by just Fortune 500 companies alone due to a toxic person. And those were only the companies that were willing to admit that they had a toxicity issue. So yeah. just imagine the amount of companies that are dealing with this. And when you were celebrating the brilliant jerk, right? 
Yeah. You know, Simon Sinek talks a lot about this a lot. Many companies have this rude person that brings in a lot of revenue. And, yeah. Simon, and Simon Sinek was talking to the Navy SEALs and it's like, hey, do you ever, you know, hire or pick the brilliant jerk for your team? And they're like, absolutely not. We don't care how athletic they are. We don't care how smart they are. We don't care if they are the best Navy SEAL of all time. We care about team chemistry more than anything. And that yeah. brilliant jerk is going to destroy the team. And you see that even in sports when the best player leaves and then all of a sudden the team gets better. So you really have yeah. to be asking yourself again, also, in addition to, am I showing care to my employees? Do I have a brilliant jerk in my team? And what type of turnover are they, may, they, may they be causing? Or what type of horrible, toxic environment may they be causing? And is it worth keeping this person if I'm going to have to replace four other people in the next year because of this person? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and that's kind of what we were dealing with. Um, and, and unfortunately, that culture uh, nurtured the so-called brilliant jerk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's uh, and I and I worked for that company from the point where it was a very young startup company, revolutionary, excited people. Um, and it became just another company with roles. Yeah. And what's interesting about how you describe that is that is when play dies, right? Yes. Any startup company, any startup found, you know, any any startup that started in a garage, right? Or yeah. like, some, like suburban home, they were just playing. They were just experimenting. They were just questioning like, oh, could we figure this out? Could we actually, you know, send videos via mail? I don't know. Let's wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> testing it out, you know? And while they were testing it out, other companies like Blockbuster are like, that's ridiculous. No one's ever going to do that, you know? And they're not willing to play, but the people, the startups that were willing to play, if they're willing to keep that play throughout their culture, even when they get funding, even when they get, you know, their first round or second round of seed money, even yeah. when they go public, if they can keep that play culture, then they can adapt and thrive. But so many companies feel they have to act a certain way and they start shooting on themselves all the time. Exactly, exactly. And they suck yeah. all the joy out of the job and the culture and you forget why you started the company in the first place. Yeah, you just described it. And uh, and we actually do have to end there because we're out of time, actually. But I think that's actually a great place to end mm -hmm. because it brings on the poignance of the value of play and what happens when you don't have it. Right. So what I'd like to do now is we have about oh, a minute and 10 seconds left here. And I want to give half that to you. Just tell us uh, how people get a hold of you and what to expect. Sure. So um, if you're an individual, I, you can go to my website, rediscoveryourplay.com yep. and simply click on the let's play button. Uh, and then we can have a call yeah. and I can, we can talk about how I can help you actually rediscover who you are through play. And if you're a business, same thing, go to the website and I have six different workshops that I'm currently running um, with that I've run with a lot of Fortune 500 companies and even with the Department of Homeland Security recently. Uh, and yeah, we can, we can figure out a way to get your staff back into a state of flow and bust through all that office politics so you can create a more fulfilling workplace for your staff.
Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Jeff Harry of Rediscover Your Play, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor and believe me in education. Thanks so much. Appreciate All it. All right. And for our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. Take care. And...